0: You'll take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Galatians. If you have the Pew Bibles in front of you, that's on page 972. We're going to be in Galatians most of the night, so it'd be important for you to have your Bibles open there. Uh, this week has been an interesting one for uh, our staff. Uh, John English got really, really busy, um, and we are, I'll, I'll tell you. The more I work alongside John English and Joshua Mallard, the more I'm thankful for them because I cannot fit up in the rafters, but they can, and so I'm very thankful for the work that they did this week, but because John has been up there most of the week, he asked me to preach for him tonight, and so I gladly accepted. always is a joy to preach to the flock. Um, well, after much prayer, I decided to turn to Galatians this evening. You see, when I first started here at Morningview uh, 15 years ago or so, one of the pastors was going through the book of Galatians on Sunday nights. I was enamored. I was excited by how much treasure I could find in one book of the Bible. You see, at that point in my life, I had never been exposed to expositional preaching. I'd never been exposed to law, gospel, covenantal dynamics. I'd never been exposed to Christ-centered preaching. But as I listened, I saw myself in the scriptures. In many ways, it wasn't just the Galatians who were foolish, but through good preaching, I began to realize that it was me also. I was the fool in many ways. So tonight, I really just want to do a quick flyby of this book that has been so much to me over the years, and I hope that we will all glean some wisdom from this great letter. But as we start, let me read Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying, trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, you are a good God who is able to enlighten the minds, and we ask you even now that you would enlighten our minds, that you would not allow us to be distracted by the world, by the temptations of the evil one, but you would allow us to come to your word and be sanctified by it. Father, I pray even now that you would hinder any words that would come out of my mouth that would not be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name amen. Well, as we go through this book, it's going to be an overview, but as we go through this book, I have two central points of doctrine from Galatians, and I also have three points of application. So we'll start with the points of doctrine. First point, we'll see the foolish heart of the Galatians. It's believed that this book was written in AD 48 or AD 49 Many believe this is the Paul's first letter. And this letter is likely written only a few years after the Galatian church was conceived. So it's amazing how quickly those who have been taught the truth can turn away from the truth. How quickly we can abandon that which is true. One of the reasons I, I love this book so much and I love coming back to this book so much is because Paul is so Honest. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't placate to our emotions. Rather, in Galatians 1 6, he says, I am astonished. I'm amazed that you are deserting the gospel, that you're deserting Christ. If you'll turn over to Galatians chapter 3, we'll spend a lot of time there this evening, but in Galatians 3, Paul uses similar language. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You see, there were false teachers coming in, twisting the scriptures, causing the Galatians to turn to a different gospel. They were having Gentile believers accept circumcision as a means for their right standing before God. Paul even has to rebuke Peter the Apostle Peter, this great Apostle, because he was acting in a hypocritical manner toward the Gentiles. You see, Peter, and, and Galatians 2 talks about this, Peter, fearing the circumcision party, fearing the Jewish party, drew back from fellowship with the Gentiles because he was scared. He was scared of what the Jews might do to him. Praise the Lord. Like always, and what we see in Peter's life, it's constantly ups and downs, like most of our lives. He repents, comes back. But let me say this clearly. This ultimately produced, in the Galatian church, and what was happening in the Galatian church, a gospel that relied on the law and not on the Spirit. It relied on man and not on grace. But continue in Galatians 3. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is not to say that the Galatians saw with their own eyes the crucifixion. Rather, what Paul is saying is that you know the cross because it has been preached to you. Young people. You know the cross because it has been preached to you. Not only has it been preached to you, you see the cross, you see the death of Christ week in and week out in the Lord's Supper. And Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now trying to work out your salvation in and of yourself when you first relied on the Spirit? What Paul is trying to get across to them is that they're making a mockery of the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit if they turn back to the law as an instrument of justification. You see, circumcision... Passover, baptism, nor the Lord's Supper have ever been instruments of our justification or our salvation. These ordinances are great pictures that illustrate God's redeeming work. They are not actually God's redeeming work. They're not. They're pictures. They're types. They show us God's redeeming work. Another way to say this, For you smart people in the room, I'm not all that smart, but John helped me out this week. Another way to say this is that these particular ordinances were particular positive laws that highlight God's work of salvation within particular covenants. So, what that means is that there were certain laws that were particular to each covenant that were to be obeyed. And so, thus, circumcision is no longer a law upon the believer under the new covenant because it was a temporary illustration of an old covenant reality. You with me? So all of that to say, all of that to say this, the reason why the Galatians had a foolish heart is that they were essentially believing that faith in Christ alone was not enough. They were saying, you have to do more. You have to be more. They did this because the Galatians were once really a church that held to the doctrine of justification by faith alone and Christ alone. But so easily, they became the type of church that turned. Beloved, it could only take a few short years for us to go down a rabbit hole that leads to death if we're not careful. If we don't have men who hold to the Word of God, to hold to sound doctrine, we could quickly become that church. We need to be aware that the path to life is narrow. Youth in the room, kids in this room, know that the path to life is narrow. And only a few find it. But the path to destruction is wide. And the people who are on that path want you there with them. They want you to drag. They'll twist the gospel as much as possible to have you there in destruction with them. Be careful with what you believe and how you believe. And this brings me to my second point. What do we believe? We believe that only faith in Christ justifies the believer. Paul paints a pretty clear picture on how a man is justified in chapter 2 and 3. Galatians 2, if you'll turn over there, Galatians 2, verse 15, I want you to see this. Paul says in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We're not like the Gentiles, we're Jews by birth. That should mean something. But then he goes forward and he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's our answer. So we, we, Jews by birth, we who were born in this, we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Then flip over to Galatians 3, starting in verse 5, I'll ask another question. He says this, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Know then, know then, this is the knowledge you have to have, know then that it is those who have faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, the whole scripture, the whole canon of scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you, shall all the nations be blessed. Now, pause there. You should ask a question. In you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. Well, how? How? The answers. Verse 9. So then, it's those who have faith. It's those who believe that are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture, the requirement was belief. Believe in Christ. Believe in God. And you will have His righteousness. You will be right with God. Do you believe? Are you trusting in this Christ? In His work? In His person? Is that where your hope is found? Paul goes on in Galatians 5 to say that all those who would want to be justified by the law, if you want to be justified by the law, then you would make yourself severed from Christ. You would be cut off from Christ. That if you find yourself saying, I have the law, Jordan, I'm a good person. I have the law, God. I'm a good person. Then Christ's sacrifice is to no avail for you. Rather, think about this, rather His blood, His sacrifice, in fact, is only a picture of the impending judgment that you will have if you don't believe in Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus will only be a picture of judgment to the unbeliever. It won't be a picture of salvation. Kids, let me just pause here. I wasn't planning on this and it's probably never a good idea to do stuff like this when, uh, when when, you're preaching. But kids, youth, make it real simple for you. Come to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Believe upon Him. When your parents start talking about Jesus, perk up listen up. When Jesus is being preached, have your ears open. That's who our faith is in. That's where we need to run to. Now, the question that I have is, what should this knowledge of how we are justified do in man? What should it do to us? If we, if we have this knowledge, which I think most of us have this knowledge. I think you're hearing this sermon and you know this. Like, you, you understand this, right? What should it do? First, it should utterly humble us. It should utterly humble us. That not only does God pour out his love for me through God's wrath on Jesus on a cross, but he also provides a way of, of escape for me through faith in Christ. We sang a song this morning. How how sweet and awful is the place when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come to Christ. It should humble me. I am able to see now. I'm able to know. I'm able to love. I'm able to cherish. I'm able to glory in Christ Jesus and Him alone. My faith, though 15 years ago, 20 years ago, my faith, though it was so small when I first believed, has now given me a trajectory for the rest of my life. All I want to do is glory in this Savior. Hope in this Savior. Make this Savior known. That's my only hope in this life. "It said, said that humility is to make a right estimate, a right estimate of one's self. Let me say this, the one who has come to the throne of Christ and thrown themselves upon Jesus has made a right estimate of themselves. They have made a right estimate of themselves. They were once a great Savior, and now they have found a great sinner, and now they have found a great Savior. This knowledge of your justification should also now provide an avenue for evangelism. You may understand that only faith in Christ is what has saved you for many years, but I would challenge you tomorrow. I challenge you. It's a challenge. Go out into the streets. Seriously, go down to Waterfront Park, begin to ask people. Ask a stranger why God should let them in heaven. And most of their answers will be because I'm a good person. And then they'll list out all that they've ever done. I've never murdered anyone. I'm relatively peaceful. I love my wife. I love my husband. And they sound a lot like Matthew 7, what we read this morning as well, right? Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then Christ will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The unbeliever, the unbeliever says, God, look at me. Look at all I've ever done. The believer says, Look at Christ and all he's done in my place. Beloved, You have been given a great knowledge of how you are saved. Why keep this treasure to yourself? Why keep it to yourself? Why lock it away? Well, this brings me to three points of application from Paul's letters. Three points of application. First point. If you have been justified, if you have been made right before God, then you are free. Turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 1. Let you get there. Galatians 5, 1. Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This means any yoke of slavery. Yes, he's mainly talking about the law, but it's also to sin. Paul goes on to say, You were running well. Why are you listening to these people who are twisting the truth of the gospel? Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you know that a little lie can thwart? You just just allow one little lie in. One little lie in. It can damn you. Go ahead, Paul says go ahead and accept circumcision, you will be severed from Christ. Paul says that I wish that these men who are leading you astray would emasculate themselves. Paul is a man saying this. I wish they would emasculate themselves. Likewise, if we remain in our sin, we don't repent, we don't pursue love of one another, then we will also be severed from Christ. Because those who are justified by faith in Christ love what Christ loves. So the question that comes out of this, the question that comes out of this is if we are free from the law of sin, free from the law of sin and death, what are we free to? Well, look down at verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom. Paul says that again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for your own pride, your own selfishness, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Once we were bound to our own self-righteousness, now we are freed to love as Christ has loved. In our freedom, we are now called to love one another. And who better exemplifies that love than Christ himself? Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us, the ungodly. We know from Galatians 2.20, which most of us have memorized, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me. And how did he love me? By giving up himself for me. John 10 is a precious passage to me as well. And wasn't it Christ in John 10 who said that he is the good shepherd and that he lays down his life willingly for the sheep? And now what he does is he calls us into a pasture, into a sheepfold of self-denial. He calls you into this pasture of self-denial. We are now called to deny ourselves for the good of others. Though we may never be thanked for the work we do, we are to joyfully embrace that work. Church family, do you know This body of believers is the place in which you are called to demonstrate love. You're actually called to this place to demonstrate love. John 13, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And guess what? By this... By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the greatest aspects of evangelism is our love for each other. Friends, live in community with one another, being known by one another, confessing sin to one another, and holding one another up. Secondly, since you have been justified, since you have been justified by faith in Christ alone, you are now called to bear fruit. Often people ask, How do we know that we're saved? Jordan, how, how in the world do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm a part of the kingdom of God? I normally respond, Well, just start off, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you bearing fruit? So if we have faith, then that necessitates that we will also have the Spirit because the Spirit is that which brings faith. And the Spirit carries us forward into a life of godliness. And if we have the Spirit, then we know that we have entered into a battleground. You're in a war right now. Galatians 5.16 tells us that the Spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the Spirit. Charles Spurgeon once said, We are shockingly forgetful of the Holy Spirit, and therein is to be, a, be feared that we greatly grieve Him. Yet we are immeasurably indebted to the Holy Spirit. In fact, we owe our entire spiritual existence to His divine power. The very fact that we have faith is because of the divine power of the Spirit. And because we are united right now to the Son by faith, we now have His Spirit to help us wage war against the flesh. Paul goes on to give us a list of sins in Galatians 5. I'm not going to list those out. He gives us this list of sins that if you are actively practicing, I would encourage you, go back and read these sins. If you are actively practicing these sins with no remorse, absolutely no remorse, no repentance, or no desire to come out of them, then be warned, the kingdom of heaven is not for you. But verse 22, I do want you to look at this. Chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know what the Spirit loves? He loves the fruit of the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice notice down in this list what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is teaching. Fruit of the Spirit is preaching, being charming, being winsome, having great knowledge, being likable, being popular, or fill in the blank. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Let me know, let me just go ahead and tell you it real quick. I've known a lot of those people. I've known a lot of those people who gave off this aroma of of godliness this appearance of godliness but they denied its power what we see in the fruit of the Spirit what we see here in Galatians 5 is the very character of Christ and when you think about the fruit of the Spirit think on Christ in the Gospels how he loved a people by giving up his life for that people How he had joy in doing the Father's will, even though that meant going to a cross. How he brings peace between you and the Father. When we have enemies of God against us, he brings peace. Think on his patience and gentleness with his disciples, even in their ignorance and arrogance. Think on his kindness and goodness to Martha and Mary by raising Lazarus from the grave. Think on his faithfulness to becoming the suffering servant for mankind. Even right now, think on his self-control, not to pour out judgment upon man. Because he actually desires for all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2. My last point of application. And I've. Hint, I've hinted at this all throughout the sermon. last point of application if you are justified then you have not only joined in union with Christ but you have joined in union with all manner of brothers and sisters Turn to chapter 6 verse 1 through 10 Paul, Fleshes out the idea of bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. But skip down to verse 10. He says this So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As Christians, we are called to do good to everyone. Everybody that we come across, we are called to do good as we have opportunity but we look especially within the church. We look to one another because we are a family. There are a few different directions we can take this, but I want, I want us to hold in on one. If we do not care for those within our body, how in the world are we to expect that we're gonna care for those outside the body? If we don't care for one another, spiritually and physically, all manner of needs, then how can we expect to care for anyone else? This question implies another question. How are we to care about the needs within the body if we are not known by the body? How are we supposed to care for other people's needs when we ourselves aren't known by the body? Jesus even praised this over John over us in John 17 that we would be one even as he is one with the father I'm so thankful I am I'm utterly thankful to be part of Morningview Baptist Church part of a, a body of believers that I see actively doing this daily I've actually seen with my own eyes how people have cared and been cared for spiritually and physically over the years even tonight during our prayer time we've seen that there are hurting members in our body we have prayed and not only are we praying we know we're going to go alongside these people because we love them and they love us i'm so thankful to be here it's not just our prayers but it, it's more it's a cooked meal for a sick family It's long conversations to counsel a struggling saint. It's sleepless nights praying and thinking thinking about our church and how I can serve it. It's praying for the struggling marriages. It's praying for those who struggle with infertility. It's praying that our children might be saved and other children might be saved. And it's praying that the prodigal child that we do have right now won't continue living as a prodigal, but they would come back and that we would receive them warmly. There are always moments of great rejoicing in the body. And there are always moments of great burdens that we need to lift up, that we need to help, and that we need to come alongside. I remember, quick story and I'll close. Remember I was 23 years old I was working my first big boy job. I felt good about myself, and after a year of working this big boy job, I realized the hard uh, this this hard reality of layoffs um, and the company going bankrupt, and me being without a job. <laughs> and uh, I had gotten close to a few families in the church, and right then i didn't have a lot of money in the bank account account but these members came alongside me and supported me helped me with rent helped me with allowing me to coming come into their home and eat a meal helped me by just praying for me and i will never forget that love that love struck me it struck me to the core I said in myself, I said, I said at that point in my time, I will never be the person to refuse a brother. I will bear with my brother. I will bear his burdens. I will help. I will care for him. And that burden might be that I call him to repentance. That burden might be that I call him back to Christ. But I will never be that person that turns his head. The book of Galatians is the first recorded letter, in my opinion. And it's amazing how he is advocating so forthrightly here for Christian community. And likewise, in Paul's final letter, the final recorded words that we have in 2 Timothy, he is doing the same thing. He's in need of Christian fellowship. He says, Timothy, come to me quickly. I need you. I'm struggling. I'm about to be offered up as a sacrifice, as a drink offering. Come to me quickly. Brothers and sisters, let's go to one another quickly. Let's help quickly. You are justified by faith. Live as those who are justified by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so sweet and merciful and kind. God, be with us this evening as we love one another, as we gather around one another, as we have prayers for one another, as we at times have to rebuke one another. God, help us to love you and to love your word. In Jesus' name, amen.